This is the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? It generates something like two point four billion dollars. I don't know. Maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, I knew you were going to go there. Walleyes relating to deep mud, where there's schools of bait fish. Today's show is brought to you by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. The Finding Fins Fishing Podcast is part of the Sporting Journal Radio family, where our mission is to hunt, fish, conserve, and do it all over again. Show off your pride for the outdoors with new gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. Go to sportingjournalradio.com, click on store, and browse our selection of hoodies, hats, mugs, and more at sportingjournalradio.com. This is the Sporting Journal Radio Show, Sporting Journal Radio Podcast, depending on where you're listening to this. If it's on the radio, thanks for tuning in on this station right here. Or if you are uh, got the podcast rolling, thanks for downloading the podcast or listening on demand at SportingJournalRadio.com. I'm Brett Amundsen. We're at, uh, we're in Branson. We're at the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Conference right now here. We've got uh, a bunch of stuff going on, so we've got to make this kind of quick. Uh, but we wanted to have our next guest on the show because he's new to a glow. He won a scholarship here this year. And. Uh, we're going to find out all about all of that. It's uh, Ali Shakura. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, where are you from? I am from uh, Jackson, Michigan originally. Now I'm in Dearborn, Michigan, which is just outside of Detroit. All right, and what do you think of the conference so far? Oh, man, it's, it's been a blast. Um, you know, I, I came in um, expecting for it to be professional, but I had no idea that the people here would be so warm and receptive. Um, everyone's come up and introduced themselves and offered any kind of help and asked me if I needed anything, made sure I've been comfortable. Uh, so I've been really impressed. I do a lot of conferences, a lot of scientific conferences, and uh, I've, been, I've been really impressed. I, I've had a ball and I've had such a good time that I'll, I'll definitely be back for another one of these. Well, well, when you talk about professional and scientific conferences, this is probably a bit of a change of pace. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're professional here, we lo- but we like to have a little bit of fun. It's it, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and, we, and we have fun as well, but you know, they're, they're the same in that everyone there is passionate about the work that they do. Sure. You know, so there's a common thread. Um, and, and again, with, with my career and the schoolwork that I do, um, there's a common thread with natural resources um, and, and, and dealing with different ecosystems and whatnot. So there is a lot of overlap okay. um, with those things. So it's not as, as different as you would think it would be. Well, give us your background. What, what are you talking about? So I am a uh, biologist. I'm an aquatic ecologist oh, really? um, by trade. Uh, I'm finishing up a master's degree from the School of Natural Resources at the University of Michigan, School of Natural Resources. Um, finishing up a doctorate at Wayne State University in Detroit. Right. So for my dissertation research, I'm studying harmful algal blooms on Lake Erie. Oh, really? Um, their effect on early life history of walleye. Uh, I'm also doing some tracking of those blooms, how they move around the lake. So I use a, a multi-beam echo sonar, just a sophisticated, a, a bigger version of a sonar on your boat. Um, it has four beams, so we actually map subsurface concentration of blue-green algae and then fish, commun- fish communities associated with that. So we compare inside the bloom versus outside the bloom and see if they're relating to it and everything because you know there's some issues with some toxins and mm-hmm. questions about whether it can affect their health and get into the flesh that people consume. So kind of some timely research with the increase of harmful algal blooms on, on Lake Erie, but it's really cool work. Yeah, that's, wow. so we're, what's causing that on Lake Erie? So those blooms are being caused by um, runoff 
Um, the Maumee River has the highest sediment load of any river that's come, you know, tributary to Great Lakes. And it comes to a lot of farm country. Farming. It's not just the Maumee River and it's not just the farmer. So I don't want that to, to get out there. But you have a lot of uh, phosphorus and nitrogen that gets pushed into the lake. Yeah. Um, you have some legacy uh, compounds also that are already in the system. Um, and so we have surface temperatures that are warming earlier in the year, staying warm later in the year, so the growing season is really kind of long. So when you have springs with a high amount of rainfall, those blooms can get really bad. Um, in 2014, the blooms got so bad and we had a lot of northeast winds that the Toledo water intake was inundated with harmful algal bloom. 400,000 people in southeastern lower Michigan and northwestern Ohio lost their water supply for a week. Wow. So this isn't just a, uh, you know, a fish health thing or an outdoor thing, this is a people clean thing water. also. Yeah, so okay. clean water, of course, so very important. How is that affecting the walleyes? Um, you know, I, some of the stuff I found in the, the papers in revision right now, it's been submitted to, uh, to be published in the Journal of Great Lakes Research. Um, I, I did see that there was effect in survival of larval walleye. Um, and people will say, well, the, the walleye population is doing so well right now, but you know, these kind of effects are compounding over the years. So, you know, if things would have changed a little bit and, and you really get a, a spatial overlap, a spatial and temporal overlap with the, with the walleye spawn and the harmful algal bloom, you could potentially see some population level effects. Um, you know, but, but again, these, these toxins could possibly make it into the flesh of these fish. And, you know, walleye is king on Lake Erie and it supports, a, you know, 200 or so million dollar fishery that's part of a larger $8 billion sport fishery in the Great Lakes. So again, very timely work, very, very important. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. So if it, if it gets into that flesh, then that could affect, uh, you know, somebody's meal essentially. And, and what effect could humans have off of that? Well, it, you know, microcystis and their associated toxins, microcystins, they can be neurotoxic or hepatoxic. Um, in Ohio and Grand Lake St. Mary's, which is outside of the Lake Erie watershed, um, they have bloom issues it's in the lake. Uh, there were some families who lost family pets. They had dogs who yeah. died after, after playing in that water. Mm -hmm. um, some of the people ended up with some, some liver damage. Yeah. Um, I've seen some reports and read some, some news articles about other countries where elderly people with compromised immune systems have actually gotten in some real health issues and actually, you know, there were some deaths associated with it. And they're so, getting that from the water though. They're getting it from the, the water. Meat could be could yeah, transmit that. It, it could, and I've seen studies from Grand Lake St. Mary saying that that some of the toxins will make it into the flesh of some of the panfish there. Okay. Um, so, so again, re really, really important, and, and it ties into, get back to my background, I'm also a tournament fisherman. Oh, really? So I fish okay. the Cabela's Master Walleye Circuit and oh, the National right. Walleye Tour, so the whole walleye thing kind of, it all ties together yeah. in, a, in a nice, neat little bow. So just going back to the research for one one more question, so you're using that four-beam sonar, are you, are you looking for walleye? in the blooms and then trying to capture those for to sample them or, or how do you put how no, do you do so it? normally when you do hydroacoustic work you do you ground proof and you put a net out just okay. kind of to back up if you think what you know if you think they're walleye or you think they're smallmouth bass whatever the case may be you ground proof it but we're not we're not doing any ground proofing yet so what we are doing is we're measuring and this is it's pretty sophisticated it's very um, I mean, we're picking up individual cells of, of blue-green algae. So we're mapping at, and then the, the four beams together, you can kind of pick up the biological backscatter. So you can pick up 
you know, you'll, I'll see schools of bait fish and I'll see other schools of fish. So then what I'm gonna do is I'll have some real-time monitoring that NOAA does, um, toxicity, pH, water temperature, things of that nature. Um, but also there is a lot of um, acoustic telemetry where they're tracking fish movements. And this is where being able to identify fish comes into play. You know, so they're tracking lake whitefish, walleye, uh, grass carp, sturgeon, muskie. So I'll be able to overlay those fish movements with satellite imagery or um, you know low flying uh, airplane imagery of the bloom to see how those fish are relating to that bloom on Lake Erie. I definitely thought you were gonna say low flying saucers for a second there. I was <laughs> like, well, there's aliens involved. This yeah, yeah that would be that would be a heck of a reveal in depth research. Here. Yeah, wow. some old Area 51 type stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, for sure. So what what made you want to do this study? And is there other study? You know, obviously we're from Minnesota, and uh -huh. walleye is king there, and we mm -hmm. we live in farm country, uh, a lot of rivers, and yeah. so you know that's something that could hit close to home for us. Do you mm -hmm. know if there's other research like that going on? There's research like this going on all over the planet. So um, harmful algal blooms are becoming a problem in Lake Taihu, China, Lake Titicaca in Nicaragua, uh, uh, Lake Ontario, um, uh, Winni Lake Winnipeg. Mm. Uh, there's an issue with harmful algal blooms. So it's happening all over the world, not just in large lakes, but in small farm ponds in different sized bodies of water because of some, some different issues and everything. So this type of research is um, applicable and could reveal some of the things that are going on pretty much you know anywhere in the country anywhere in the world in that same kind of latitude where those types of blooms kind of happen but yeah there's a lot of neat research out there involving harmful algal blooms and fish terrestrial health birds so people are really starting to, to look at this now so very applicable to the state of minnesota also yeah i love that stuff and uh, not just the the research into what's affecting the health of our fisheries but being able to track fish too i, I love learning about migration patterns whether it's fish or waterfowl mm -hmm. or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be mm -hmm. just learning behaviors because there's so much of that that involves how much a you know how much success a guy has on the water yeah you, know, you know a lot of people oh it's uh our limits are too high or we can't use two lines or muskies are eating all our walleyes yeah, whatever for sure, for sure. but there's so much more research and and work that gets done in the background and, and projects like this that really affect our fisheries and can mean success in the long run yeah it, it, there are and that's kind of the niche i'm you know kind of put myself in the past few years so i do a lot of uh, seminars and outreach. I've been at National Professor Angus Association. I do a lot of stuff back home and a few other states. I have a passion for communicating science to people who don't normally get to see it. Because like you said, people have these complaints. The muskie are eating the walleye, the limit's too low, the limit's too high. Um, and a lot of times they only get that decision from the DNR. Hey, we're gonna change the limit. And, but they don't get to hear, well, this went into it. This was a thought process. Well, they do a little bit, but but they don't always time, listen. They don't listen or there's yeah. a distrust. Yeah. Being an angler, being a tournament fisherman, and being able to link what the person who lives on the Detroit River or any other river for that matter with some of the things that are going on ecologically and have a conversation with them, I think kind of draws people in. They're really interested in hearing about those type of things. Yeah. So. Well, and you live in both worlds, and sometimes I think, and I, you know, uh, 
don't take offense to this, but sometimes biologists, uh, you know, like our DNR in Minnesota, sometimes they're not always the best communicators to get the message out to the public. And they're, they're too busy doing research or whatever. They're not professional communicators. They're, yeah. you know, it's yeah. science. It's yeah. not, it's not communicating. So uh, sometimes that, and, and they're getting better at it. Yeah. They know that that's been a problem. Yeah. In the last few years, they've actually done a really good job improving that. And they've hired some more communicators to help spread Ex the message. Exactly. Yeah. A lot, a lot so. of DNR offices and, and, and state, you know, natural resource commissions are, are hiring mm -hmm. communications people because, you know, a lot of them now are short staffed. Yeah. You know, you have the biologists who used to kind of be in the office taking care of everything coordinated. They're actually out in the field now. You know, and I see it, you know, as a tournament guy, a lot of times before I go to a, a place, I'll call a biologist to ask, hey, what's going on and everything. And a lot of times they just sound swamped, you know. Yeah. And so having that communicated, that communicator is good. And, and, and like you said, it's not that they don't want to take the time. A lot of times they're just so darn busy. And again, it's not, you know, they're trained to, to crunch numbers and do the research and everything and, you know, pass that data on to someone else who may communicate it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I see that disconnect. Um, you know, something else that I, I try to do on some of the projects I've worked on is to ask the public. And I, and I mentioned it the other, the other day when I was talking up front, where if I pull up to a boat launch and I'm there to sample or something, I see someone who's lived on that lake for 75 years, I'm going to ask them, hey, how was this lake when you were a kid? How yeah. is it now? Tell me the differences you see. What's happened over time? Um, he may not have a hardcore data set, but he's been on that lake every day for 75 years. Yeah. And that, you know, it's just like indigenous, indigenous knowledge. It's important mm -hmm. that, you know, he's in tune with, with what's going on. So, so there's been a disconnect, I think, on both sides. Um, the little things that I try to do, you know, for the past couple of years is try to bridge that gap as best I can with the people ar around me because, you know, this is a lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do this this kind of thing because we love it, you know? Yeah. I got it from my father. Did you? He got it from his father. Okay. You know, and so, you know, I want to pass it on to my children, to my daughters. And um, sometimes I feel like I'm the last of a dying breed because there's been this rate of attrition. We're not getting people back in. So we have to communicate these type of things and draw people in from diverse backgrounds and draw some scientists in to be more communicators and get out in the field and everything. So that's kind of, you know, my pat where my passion lies and why I wanted to come to a glow to kind of to bridge that gap a little bit and to try to become a better communicator in different in, in other type media. Was your dad and grandfather, were they walleye guys or what did you grow up, what did they teach you? I, I grew up, my father was a, a, a big bluegill yeah. maniac. He would drive, I, I'll never forget, I was maybe 12, 13, we could in fishermen of course, and there was an article about there, we were in Michigan, Jackson, Michigan, Irish Hills area down by the racetrack, and there was an article about you know, big bluegill being caught in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, and I'll never forget. <laughs> let's get a lake map, let's go. You know, and, and that was the kind of person he was. So that sense of adventure, hey, if there's a bite somewhere, I'll go figure it out, let's, let's go. So I got that from him, that sense of adventure. Later on in life, you know, I got into walleye. So with him, it was pike, you know, panfish, big crappie, big bluegill, a lot of largemouth bass fishing. The walleye came a touch, a touch later. Um, I took that and ran with it. Um, but yeah, I came up doing that and then, you know, chasing bunnies, you know, squirrel hunting. Pheasant was really big when I was a kid. There aren't too many, well, there's some, but nothing like it, it used to be. So just growing up hunting and fishing, it was a lifestyle. Every Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving morning before we ate, you know, we go bunny hunting, Yeah. you know, kicking up brush piles and everything. So it was ingrained in me from an early age. So it's something I'll always be around. It's something that I'll do until my dying day, God willing. What got you into tournament fishing then? Um, actually, I started fishing. My father, God rest his soul, passed away in 2012. 
and growing up, we'd always watch bass matches on TV, and we, you know, we see this stuff, and we'd always say, "Man, we're good anglers. We we could do that. We could hang out with those guys." And he passed in 2012, and that, that winter, I kind of made some changes in my life, and I thought to myself, you know, one of the last things, one of the worst things you can hear is someone on their deathbed say, "I wish, I wish I'd done this. I wish we'd done that. I wish I'd done that." And I thought about that really hard. And that next spring, I was like, I'm going to make that leap. You know, and I started fishing uh, the Master Walleye Circuit in, in 2012 and, you know, got sucked in, had some success. You know, I've been fortunate to win a couple events and make some championships. So, really? yeah. yeah, it was kind of, you know, the impetus was, again, doing those things with my father and, you know, just seeing him pass and just, and just thinking back. I, I didn't want to have any regrets. You know, as far as I know, I'm here one time and I want to see him do it all. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been doing it ever since and uh, just loving every minute of it. Yeah. Did you get a chance to do some fishing down here? I did. I got up on Table Rock. Um, you know, we caught some smallmouth bass, some spotted bass, legendary Table Rock Lake. I, I had right. a ball out there. Yeah. Um, today we got down in Lake Titimoco, just some, uh, some trout fishing, mm. some rainbows. We didn't get a big one, but we saw a, a giant brown trout down there. And, and, I, and I tell you, this area, man, it, it rivals anywhere I've ever been. The scenery is beautiful. The people are beautiful, friendly. Um, the natural resources, the fishing is top notch. Yeah, just just a beautiful place, and so happy to be here. What do you think of the the conference and uh, the aglow? Your first impressions of aglow? First impression again, um, the, the people, just very professional, very welcoming, very warm, willing to to go out of their way to help me. I've got so many cars and contact. And, hey, if you ever need anything, and even even while I'm here, hey, come sit down, let's talk, you know, and so. Very welcoming. I, I, they've made me feel like I've been a member of a glow for for ten years. Uh, how did how did you you got a scholarship? I did. So I got a scholarship from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Thank you very much for for the scholarship. Uh, Mark Schoonveld and Lance Valentine nominated me for that. So I have to give a big shout out to those two gentlemen. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be awarded that scholarship, which covered costs to come down here and attend a, attend the uh, conference, pay for my conference fees. But it's something that I've wanted to do anyway. Um, a couple of people I've talked to who are, who are outdoor writers who know me pretty well over the years, I said, hey, you need to kind of start doing this type of thing and getting, being a, becoming a member of a GLOW um, will help facilitate that. So winning the scholarship is not the only reason I'm here. Let me put that out there. Sure. But, uh, but again, I, it's been just a fantastic uh, opportunity, and I've had a great time. Well, it was uh, nice to meet you. Uh, sounds like, I mean, that research is fascinating to me. Good yeah. luck in all that research, and, uh, and good luck in the fishing and tournaments and all that. And if you want to do some pheasant hunting, let me know. Come on out. Yes, sir. I'd love Chase to do some, some pheasant hunting, around. and maybe when I get this, this project wrapped up, I can come back on, and we can kind of talk about some things again. And Absolutely. Talk about the results of my research and kind of some next, some next steps that we're looking at taking with that. Yeah, for sure. Where do we find you online? So you can find me, uh, I'm on Facebook, on my personal page, uh, Ali Shakur, and I have a secondary page, Ali Shakur Fishing. I'm also on Instagram, at Ali Shakur Fishing, and I'm on Twitter, Ali Shakur. My handle is at Fish Science Dude. So uh, reach out, any of your questions, comments, concerns about my research, about fishing, or anything else, always love to hear from the public. All right, Ollie, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or go to findingfins.com and make sure to like our sponsors. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods.
Islands, fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 